September 20th will be our three-year anniversary. So moved here from central North Carolina, Pinehurst, Southern Pines area, uh, to plant reach with eight other families. Um, my wife is here with me. Uh, we've been married almost 18 years. Jody. Hey, Jody. Um, and then we have three kids. Lydia is 13, Noah is 11, and Allie is six years old. So I'm very grateful um, that you're here this morning uh, and participating. And I just want to take just a minute before I begin and just let you know uh, and brag on your pastor. Um, you may already know this, but if you don't know this, you have a God-fearing, God-loving man um, that loves you guys. And I have been so encouraged over the last year that the four of us have been getting together, hearing his heart, seeing his tears for what he wants to see accomplished in this city. And, you know, if you don't know that and you've not met him yet and you're, you know, not sure about this church, I just encourage you to hang in there. Uh, you've got a, a guy that is very interested, not in building a kingdom for himself, um, which can be dangerous in the church world, but building a kingdom um, for God here in this city. So... I just want to brag on your pastor before I begin, Um, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, it is by your grace and your mercy that right now we have breath in our lungs, Um, Lord, that we have uh, the capacity to sit here in this room and to hear your word, and Lord, so I I pray that even though this is the sixth time that I have shared um, this text uh, in this sermon, Lord, I pray that you would just give me a word for coastal today. Um, Lord, that you wouldn't allow your word to take the back seat to what I want to accomplish, but Lord, that your word would be paramount in uh, what you want to do, what you want to speak, and how you want to encourage this body today. Uh, So Lord, we just submit ourselves uh, to the power and to the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, that brings understanding, um, that brings encouragement, uh, and and that brings strength to us, your children. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you're going to um, like to read along, the text isn't going to be up on the screen. I apologize for that. Uh, But if you got your Bibles with you, my text today, I'm going to do a couple other scripture before we get there. But the primary text that I'm going to be covering today out of the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. And then I'm going to throw in verse 12 just because I think it fits well into what I want to share today. And I just want to kind of start off this idea that these, this isn't just something, like not that any part of the Bible is kind of secondary, but this is the largest sermon that Jesus preached. And when Jesus speaks, it's important. And so I just want you to understand, like he even said, he said, you know, I didn't come to, you know, abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And when he was talking about the scripture in other parts of the Sermon on the Mount, he actually said, you've heard it written. So he's comparing what was written, what they understood as the voice of God in the scriptures. He says, you've heard it written, now I say. And there's an authority that comes from Jesus because he's speaking the words of life. And so I don't want to, sometimes when we look through texts that we're familiar with, if you've been around the Bible for a while, we kind of shut down and you believe that you have all the understanding that you're going to get out of that text. And I just encourage you just to open your mind and allow God to speak in that 
regard and see afresh today. And so today I have the, uh, the joy of preaching, preaching about judgment. Uh, if you've been around the church for a while, uh, we're very well known for how we judge and how we hate and things that we dislike. And um, the truth is, it is something that has become very known for us. And the problem is, is church is filled with people that exist in a pattern that is dangerous. Uh, and I want to confess to begin with, I, don't, um, I love that you don't preach on a stage here. I hate being on a stage because stages convince people that are listening that we're important. Um, when we're just you that they gave a microphone to, okay? We're in the same struggle, in the same battle. And judgment is something that I, I kind of, uh, you know, I deal with. Like, I, I deal with the reality that when I see people that I want to make a snap judgment on who they are, what they're about, how strong a believer they are, or how bad a sinner they are, and it just is in me, and I have to fight that. And the danger is, is we've become a culture that that's acceptable. Walk down the aisle in the grocery store and see the tabloids and these snapshot judgments of one moment in someone's life and someone predicting the end of their marriage or predicting the, the, um, their drug addiction or whatever based on a photo in there. And the danger with that is that we become a people that go, it's just the way I am. You know, or, or if you don't want to be that bold, you might say, I just call it like I see it. You know, that, that's, I just say, uh, you know, it happens, I see it, and I speak it. And the danger is, is here is Jesus. He's going to deal with the reality that it's not just about what you see. Because Jesus didn't deal with what everybody else saw. He dealt with what the potential was. And so I saw this commercial the other day. And um, if anybody, so you may not know, I didn't know who this commercial was by until I actually watched it to the, it, the end. But AmeriQuest Mortgage. You may have seen the commercials based on just the name. Probably not. But I'm going to describe a commercial that they put out on the, the little thing says, don't judge too quickly. And let me set it up here. And so there is a boyfriend that has a key to the girlfriend's apartment. And he wants to surprise her, make her an awesome dinner, home-cooked. He's going to do it. And so he gets there. She's at work. He takes the key from above the little thing, opens the door, and he goes in there. And you see this white little fluffy cat. And, you know, it's around. You're like, oh, why are they showing the cat? We'll get there. And so... What's going on is he's making spaghetti, he's setting the table, and he's preparing it. Like, all the guys are like, yeah, he's got it going on. And so what happens is this cat gets a little um, anxious to to taste what he's making. So the cat jumps up onto the countertop, and he is near the sauce. And then it, it pans into the hallway where the girlfriend is coming home from work, getting ready to open the door. You, it goes back inside. You see the cat put his hand on the pot. The pot falls on the ground. Spaghetti sauce goes everywhere. The cat jumps down to partake in the spaghetti sauce that he's just made available to him. And the boyfriend's over there cutting up the stuff for the salad. So he has a knife in the hand. And he reaches down because the cat is, you spill the spaghetti, picks up the cat as the girlfriend opens the door, knife, cat with red, blood all on the ground, not blood, but I mean, that's the thing. And then it pans to black and it says, don't judge too quickly. There's about four or five of those that are hilarious. But the danger is, is that if we as a church allow what we see to determine what is available for the person, then we 
move into a place of judgment that eliminates them from the grace of God. See, a couple of things happen when we judge. We, when we judge, we miss the compassion component. Which that was one of Jesus' most known things. He was so compassionate to the people that the religious ones expected him not to be. You know, when we judge, we build up walls. We, we don't want to hear anything that's coming out of the mouth because we view them based on what they're wearing or tattoos they have or their haircut or their earrings or whatever based on what God could do. And when we judge, we stop listening, which is key. Um, my wife is here with me. And the only good thing about if I had a stage right now, who's aware that my shirt is not how it should be? Like, who is that bothered? Okay, I don't walk around um, with my clothes typically looking like that. And some of you guys were sitting there going, oh my gosh, his wife is even here. Like, how did she let him out? because he was sitting on the other side of her. She didn't notice. Some of you are thinking, dude went to the bathroom before and his shirt's all in his pants. Like, this is weird and awkward. And you're not listening to anything I've said. Like, the first five minutes, I didn't put anything really important in there because some of you, all you've thought is going, someone go fix his shirt. Like... I did this in one church and literally the pastor, pastor's wife was elbowing during my prayer. Like, get up there while their heads are bowed and take out his shirt from his pants. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a funny illustration, but that's the reality is that when we are so focused on what's external, we don't see past that. And let me get here since we all struggle with this. It's not just me. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, he's such a judgmental guy. And you didn't know I was trapping you. So that you would listen. Okay, so here, since this is a reality, let me give you another text. This is a, a picture that Jesus gives out of Luke 18, verses 10 through 14. And I'm going to have to give a little explanation, but this is a picture that Jesus does not and is not caught by what he sees on the outside. And so in this story, two men went up to the temple. Forgive me, I'm going to give you a little explanation of some of the characters in here because I don't want to assume that everybody knows things. Um, like sometimes pastors, they just assume that you know what this is and you're like, yes, don't know. Okay, so they go up to the temple to pray. Temple is just a church, okay? So two guys go up to the temple to pray and one of them is a Pharisee. Okay, so a Pharisee is a religious leader of the day. He is a lay person usually really successful, owns a business, is a big part of the church. He has studied the law. He knows the word, has memorized it, knows all the prophetic words about the coming Messiah. He would know all of the extra laws. So in this culture, they didn't just have the Ten Commandments. They had 600 and some rules that they had to obey. And these were the men that everybody would say in the community, we want to be like them. So here it may be like, we want to be like Lucas. And who was upset when he cut his hair? I was a little upset. No one? I mean, he looked cool. He was cool. Man, you look like Jesus. I told everybody Jesus was coming to preach at Reach, and then Lucas came. Um, and so the Pharisee was the guy that everybody wanted to be like. I mean, like, if in this culture, if you want to say, hey, this is, if you could behave and be good, this is the picture. Okay, so everybody wants to be like this guy. And the other one is a tax collector. Well, we understand that no one really likes paying taxes. Anybody like, I love paying taxes? Anybody? Okay, no. Okay, so 
Imagine this, in this day and age, this was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was occupied by a foreign entity called Rome. So Rome had came in, uh, conquered, and was in control of the holy city. And because they were in charge, they could charge taxes to the city. And so instead of sending their own people, they hired locals to collect the taxes. So here's the holy city. This is the place that they felt God was at. This is where God called them to. This is where God's temple was. And having a foreign entity that didn't worship their God govern them is one thing. And then they hired people from within. So their brothers to other fellow Jews to collect the taxes. So it's not just that they collected the taxes, which is horrible. Because it is a daily, weekly, monthly reminder that someone else rules and governs this area. It's not God and his people. And so not only do they do that, collect what is required by the Roman government, but they take a little extra. So let's say you owe them $10 a week in taxes. They would charge you 15 and keep $5 of it. And everyone knew that these were not the people that you wanted to be like. In the Pharisees, which were the religious people again, when they listed the sinners, the tax collector was in their chief sinning category. Like these were not the people that you wanted to emulate, to be like. And so here's Jesus giving a picture on purpose. Saying, look at this. Two people go into church to pray. One of them the religious leader. One of them the despised tax collector. And in verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed this. And I like to... And this may be negative, I don't know. Uh, I like to add a little of what I think. I think the Pharisees, because they are a self-righteous bunch, I'm sure he's saying it just loud enough so everybody can hear. So this isn't a quiet, humble prayer in the corner going, oh, no, 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 no. This is, here, let me just read it. He goes, thank God that I'm not like other men. Thank God. I'm not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, I'm not an adulterer, or even like this tax collector. Arrogant, self-righteous, and then he lists his good deeds. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all I get. I am awesome. Basically what he's saying, everybody knows he's awesome, everybody wants to be like him. And then it fades to the tax collector. It says, but the tax collector which I would say this isn't the guy that's talking loudly. This is a guy that is quiet in the corner, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. And then Jesus, his words, he said, I tell you, this man, meaning the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the picture is here is that Jesus is not confused by what is underneath the surface. He's not caught off guard by what's in the heart. He actually ignores what's on the outside, where everyone else would go, the Pharisee, oh, let's lift him up and praise him. Jesus was the meanest most aggressive, most strong-worded to these men. And he's telling everybody, look, it's not what you see on the outside, but it's what you see on the inside. And let me give you this, and then we're getting ready to get into Matthew 7. Here's the reality. 
is that we are four churches. We call ourselves 4BC, 4 Brunswick County. I know it's a little cheesy, but I like it. <clears throat> and I've heard enough of the vision and the desire, and I, I know you guys just bought land, and y'all aren't just bought, buying land to like, <laughs> we may, maybe need a few more seats and have a bigger building. You're buying land, and you're meeting every day. You may not know this, but because your pastor in this church has a heart to change the lives of the people in this county. And I am fully convinced that as long as you guys wait on us, meaning the pastors, to change our city, it's going to be a long time before we see God move. Because we are one people. Because the reality is, is God has given us the power and authority to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And I'm convinced that if we don't get this, this one idea about judging, that regardless of how hard you try to reach this area, we're not going to see any movement in the kingdom like we should unless every one of us grab on to this word. Every one of us hear the reality that Jesus wants us to look past the external. So let's get into it. I'm going to read all of the text and then we're going to go back through um, verse by verse. So starting in verse one, chapter seven, Matthew says, judge not that you not be judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye? Why you do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then verse 12, it says, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. See, the reality is that our world knows this scripture, inside or outside the church. And every time the church comes to try to correct something, which let me just set this out, which we'll deal with this in the three through five text. This scripture is not telling us not to challenge and encourage people out of sin. This Scripture is not telling us turn a blind eye to what's going on in the world. It's not telling us to turn a blind eye to what's going on in the people sitting on your same row of things that you need that they need to be encouraged and built and brought out of. It's not saying we ignore. His whole key here is to do it correctly. Because the reality is, is as we judge. Which judgment here that he's talking about, he's speaking predominantly to the religious leaders of the day. Judgment is a decision on whether grace can be given or not. Judgment isn't like, eh, I don't like your shirt. Like, oh. Judgment is seeing what's on the outside and going, Jesus can't do anything for them. Some of you may have neighbors that you're like, Jesus can't do anything for them. Some of you may have family. Some of you may have people sitting on your row and you go, bless their heart. But Jesus can't do nothing for them. That's judgment. Judgment is deciding whether or not people can change based on what Jesus did for them on the cross. 
Judgment is deciding what is available for them. And it becomes your decision, which is not our decision. So the beginning here is, um, let me tell you another story. And just this idea of understanding how we get to the reality of staying out of judgment. There was another thing. uh, The Pharisees didn't like Jesus, even though he fit all of the prophetic words of where he was born and how he's going to come and this and that. He fit into what they knew. They didn't like him because he wasn't what they wanted. They wanted a conquering, ruling king. And so the entire time during his ministry, they tried to challenge him, not because they wanted divine wisdom, they wanted to get rid of him. And so there was an occasion where the Pharisees found a a couple committing adultery. How they found them? That's a whole other story that we won't even get into. But they, they called them, both of them, let the guy go and bring the girl, which is not what they were supposed to do. And they bring him to Jesus, her, fully, or not fully, fully undressed, wearing no clothes, lay her on the ground in front of Jesus to trap him. See, they had looked into the life of this woman and they were ready to kill her because that's actually what they were coming to do. Kill her so that they could discredit this man who is Jesus. And so laying on the ground, they come to um, Jesus and say, hey, look, the law of Moses says that what is given to her, what, by what she's done, she has to be stoned. That's the law. But the, the, here, here's the catchy part. See, the law of Moses says if you're caught in adultery, you get stoned. They were occupied by Rome. Rome had removed their power of capital punishment, meaning killing someone. So if Jesus said, yes, we need to obey Moses and stone her right now, he would be rebelling against Rome. So they they felt like, either way, we've got him. And if he sided with Rome and said, we cannot kill her, stone her, because we don't have the power authority to, then he would be going against the church. And they thought this was perfect. And here's what Jesus did. He didn't panic. Like me, like... Hopefully this doesn't happen to me. I'd be like, put some clothes on her. Um, do it, you know, I, I wouldn't know what to do. Like, like hey, guys. Um, Jesus didn't panic. Jesus went down. I love his calmness, his coolness, understanding exactly what is going on. And he bent down to the ground and began to write in the, the dirt. And I love the commentaries on this. There's so much speculation of what he wrote and what he said. And I love the one that said that he went down and because they're close. Because they want to hear when Jesus speaks the blasphemy or sides with the enemy. And so they're close to Jesus. And one commentary said that as he went down to begin to write on the earth, he was literally putting their names and their sin. At each of the one, each of the accusers that have come to accuse her, that he's writing their name and their sin where they can see it. And they're active. And he stands up and he makes this statement. He says, He that is without sin cast the first stone. See, the reality is, is that if we live in this place of judgment, we're trying to decide what is capable. And they didn't love, they weren't trying to restore this girl who had decided to live in a place that was foreign to her God. They wanted to use her to trick Jesus. And Jesus makes this statement to her and he says, Who's condemned you? She said, no one. She said, and he says, neither do I go and sin no more. He, he wasn't going, hey, it's no big deal. He's saying, hey, leave this life. But I, 
your father is not standing in condemnation over you. See, Jesus was interested in what could be with people. Here's another one. Um, Titus um, chapter 3, verses 1, I think through 7, it says, Remind them to be um, submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. This is a letter that Paul is writing to the church. So this is a letter written to those who are calling on the name of Jesus. And he's saying, hey, don't do these things. And then he says this in verse 3. It says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Catch these words, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewer of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, here is the thing. The easiest way that you can live a lifestyle of not judging. Actually, the title to my sermon is called Life Without Logs. The easiest way for you to do that is realize where Christ found you. Because the problem is, is us church people. I've been saved for 20, almost 21 years. 21 years, July. 21 years. The longer it's from our day of meeting Jesus the more we begin to think it was us that has got us to this great place of being awesome. See, Jesus is reminding the church here, and he's reminding the church now, just remember. Remember where you were when Jesus found you. I'm aware of my own sin now. I'm aware of my own need for Jesus daily, and I am so grateful for that because it... It daily keeps me in a place of understanding that without Jesus, I'm nothing. And see, the reality is, is when we live in that place, when we look at somebody that has a lot of hang ups, a lot of issues, if we'll see ourselves in that person. Then we know that Jesus saved us, that Jesus restored us, then he has the potential to do it in this person. See, the other part of this is not just judge not least you be judged, don't condemn. But he said with the measure that you judge, it is going to come back to you. So for those that live in a place of judgment, for those that use their words to judge other people, it's going to come back to you. One of my favorite verses um, is Proverbs ten nineteen. It says, when words are many, sin will abound. I'm a communicator. I'm an extrovert. And I run my mouth all the time. And I have over and over and over again, out of a desire to connect with people, said the dumbest things. And those dumb things sometimes are judgment. They'll come right back on me. Like somebody, like I'm sharing something and like in my soul, I'm like, don't share that. And then, you know, that what I shared goes to the person that I was sharing it about. And it comes back to me. And over and over again, God's been going, the way you dish it out, It's coming back. 
So he's not just saying, hey, don't judge, but go ahead and judge. But in your judgment, what you pronounce over other people, other people are going to do that to you. Other people are going to do that to you. See, the New Testament is filled with stories of what Jesus did in looking past the sin of others. Filled. I mean, his ministry was walking down the road. His ministry was not to the well, but to the sick. And he restored, I mean, lepers. Dead. Like, he did everything a religious leader was not supposed to do. A leper came up to him. He could have spoke, oh, I know you got leprosy. Just stay back there. In the name of me, you're healed. Um, And he'd be healed. But no, he would literally walk right up to him. He'd put his hand on. On them, There was a young man that had died, a widow, so she had already lost her husband, she just lost her only son, and Jesus is so moved by what's going on that he walks up to the casket and lays his hand on it, which is not acceptable for the religious men of this day. And he spoke to this young man and he, he woke up. On a side note, I think it'd be interesting, and I feel like heaven... Because we create things that are like heaven. I think there's going to be a movie theater in heaven. And I think we'll be able to go to the movie theater and we'll get to see these things that we've read about for years lived out. Like, I can't wait to be like, I want to know what that young man said when he set up. Because it said he set up and began to talk. I'm like, whoo-hoo. Anyway, I just, I, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, interesting things that we're going to be like, that's how it happened. Okay, so verse 3 through 5. And this is where it hammers down. Okay, so the reality is, is we're not called to condemn people, but we are called to deal with issues. It says brother, so he's actually dealing with inside the church. The danger is, is that church is perfect until you guys come into it. Like my church was perfect until I invited other people into it and they realized how broken I was and then we were a mess together. It is. I mean, you look at your pastor and his wife and you think, oh, look, they're perfect. They're not perfect. And that's okay. It's okay, right? It's okay. But here's what God's trying to do. He's trying to say, if we're going to help each other, we've got to get one thing straight. Imagine the picture of this. I think Jesus is hilarious. Actually, I think in the bathroom, there's a picture of Jesus laughing right here. Jesus laughing. I think Jesus laughed all the time. And so he's telling this story about a speck. And he was a carpenter, so he understood the reality of what's going on. He's like, there's this speck. So they see this really tiny thing, like this little, you know, let's go into our reality. It's morning time. Some of you have eye boogers. Do you know what that is? Okay, you didn't look at a mirror this morning. You have a little crusty. And so that's like me going, oh, you don't have one, but I'm just going to use you. Like you got a little. But in me, I've got this like honking, like oozing, nasty, you know, like the slime that's just hanging down and be like, hey, God, man, if you just, you should get that. But he's looking at me like, oh, like you got your own issue and I don't want to catch that. So let's just back away and see. But that's what's going on here is that, you know, here's Jesus going, hey, we're hypocrites when we come to someone and go, there's something wrong, like your collar's messed up. But, you know, you're, you've got cut off jeans that are really way too short. Guys, not girls. I'm not going to deal with that. But, you know, you, you shouldn't have pockets showing, guys. Just, that's, that's for free. 
Anyway, sorry. I'm, I lose myself at times. Okay. See, most people understand that we're called to help. Like, I believe our, our church's name is called Reach Community Church. The idea behind our name is that I believe that community is critical if we're going to change our world. Community means that we existed, we were created by a God that lived by himself in community. Three parts in community. He created us. The only negative thing that he said about creation is that Adam was alone. He created us for community and we need one another. I I mentioned earlier, February would be 18 years that I've been married to Jody, my wife. You know, (sighs) I need her. To tell me my shirt's messed up. I need her to point out, like at the end of sermon, I, not that I don't appreciate people coming up afterwards and be like, oh, that was great. But some of you are just trying to be nice and you don't really like it. You just want to be nice. The only honest voice that I can trust on how things went uh, is my wife. And so almost every Sunday, if she's not in kids ministry, I'm like, what'd you think? And I, I always take a breath like, because this is truth. She's, she does it in love. But we need people to point out what's going on. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that if we're going to do this, and this is for free, husbands and wives. Most, let me just speak to husbands. Okay, because I feel like I can connect with you because I'm one and I'm an idiot at times. God wants us to lovingly encourage and help our wives grow. But we as the husband, have to humble ourselves and take our planks out. Because I would just say for free that if there's things going on in our house, it's usually me. Because I talk too much. And I can't be quiet. And so God wants to take our lives and to grow one another. But it has to be in this lifestyle of removing our logs. He wants us to correct, but he wants us to do it correctly. And see, one of the easiest ways for us to do that is keep short accounts with God. Be honest. When you get up in the morning, you're aware of what you did stupid the day before. Just start off your morning going, God, here here I am. And I understand what I did yesterday. Make amends for that with God. Make amends for that with other people. And I'm going to teach you something. This is Uh, On a side note, but Matthew 18 is a great example of how we're to deal with. There's so many scriptures that tell us that we're to grow and mature one another as we, you know, teach and train and do all those other things. And Matthew 18 is one of the best examples of that. And so what it says for us to do, because we're in a church and there's a lot of you in here, um, one of you is going to offend the other. Like, They didn't make enough coffee or they ran out of French vanilla right before I got here and you're just going to be frustrated at that or whatever. Someone did fill in the blank. It happens. No church is perfect. I understand that. And so what happens is someone offends you and the way to resolve this is you go tell several other people in the church. Tell them, you know, who did it, what they did, and you get them on your side, you get them frustrated with the person Also, and then, this is crucial, you might want to write this down, and then you go to Facebook, and then you write their name on, you know, because it says what's on your mind, so that means you should put everything that's on your mind, and so you put their name, you tell them what they did, and then put bless their soul at the end, and that makes it okay. 
Matthew 18 doesn't say any of that. Okay, so that's just falsified verse. That's what we do. Someone offends us. Instead of dealing with it correctly, we go to someone else and I cannot believe. And they're going, yes, I can't believe it either. They're horrible. And then we discreetly, I, I took a, we did a series before this and I, I felt like God wanted me to um, take a 40 day fast of social media. So I went off of Facebook for 40 days and <clears throat> um, I hate it. Like I, I dislike it even more now. So I'm, I've decided I'm not putting it back on my phone or my iPad and I'm going to check it once a week on my computer and just, I don't, not that what you say isn't important, Facebook world, but it's not. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so what the danger is, is that we do that and sometimes we'll go, well, I'm not going to put their name, but like this thing happened to me today. You know who you are. And then you write your mind and all your friends are like, like, like. Okay, and so here's what Matthew 18 actually says. Matthew 18 says if there's someone that has, has offended you, so you go to them one-on-one before you have mouthed off to anyone else, you have humbled yourself, you have prayed and asked God to give you grace and peace, and you go to them and say, here, you did this, and it really upset me, and it hurt my feelings, and the hope is that you're going to restore them. Because I would say 90% of what goes on in destroying our churches internally is miscommunication. It's literally you heard them incorrectly, you had a bad day, they had a bad day, they didn't mean to say what they said, and they said something, and it, it just gets taken out of proportion. But the, the point is that you go to them alone, and you say, hey, here's what's happening, here's what I heard, this is what I feel, not attacking them, and just say, you know, put it on you, this is how I perceived what you said. And so they can defend themselves and restore that. And if that doesn't work, then you go to a loving grace-filled person, not like the middle school. Fight, fight. Like, you know, somebody starts pushing you, fight, 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 and they want to incur. But someone that's just going to lovingly calm you is going to love the other person into a place of repentance, into a place of restoring them, because that's the plan. And if that doesn't work, then you take them in front of the church and, and you deal with it. Because God wants to restore. Because if we cannot love each other then we can't invite people into this. So if there's things that are going on in us, we've got to remove our own logs. Last verse, 12. It says, So whatever you do, whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. Everything hinders on this reality. And it, the reality of verse 12, it says that it starts with you. Like, imagine our world, imagine our church, imagine your home and your workplace and your neighborhood if you literally just started treating people like you desired. See, I think some of us, me included, at times sit in our house waiting for other people to change when God is going, hey, I want you to change. I want you to love them. I want you to encourage them. I mean, imagine in our houses when we weren't waiting for our spouse to to fix what they broke the day before, but you just went and you loved on them and served them. Imagine in our neighbors that allow their dogs to poop on your grass and they don't pick it up. I don't have one of those, but I'm just saying some of you do, and that bothers you. I don't like poop either, but... And, you know, some of it is literally, hey, what if we just loved on the other person? What if we went and mowed their grass? And what if we went and and picked up the poop on their yard, too, so it's not on both of our yards? And what if you did simple things just to love them? 
you know, what would it change? What would it change in our work environments if we literally loved people instead of desiring their failure so you can look good? It starts with us. So what now? Here's the keys. You got to remember where you started. If we're going to live a lifestyle of not judging other people, then you've got to remember where you were the day that Jesus brought you to him. And remember how broken and lost you were. And that that same Jesus that saved you is willing to save other people just like you. Live a lifestyle of repenting of that judgmental place. See, today, if you're living in that cycle, just saying, hey, God, I'm sorry, which is a good start. I don't want to live in that place. Help me. Every day you're going to have to wake up going, God, make me aware of the words that are going to come out of my mouth. Make me aware of the judgments that I'm going to walk in today. And tomorrow morning, wake up with this wake up and acknowledge that Jesus and Jesus alone has set you free adopted you, made you righteous, and will do the same to others. I have two scriptures that I want to share, and then we're going to close. First uh, John 5, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, listen to this. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, Jesus is not waiting to punish you. Because of your sin. And your judgment, Jesus is desiring to restore you. All he wants you to do is use your words to confess your sin And then Romans 8, which is by far my favorite chapter in the whole New Testament. Um, Just starting in verse 1 through verse 4, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He he condemns sin In the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Walking in the flesh is living a lifestyle of judgment. Walking in the spirit is choosing to trust Jesus every day with your life, trusting him with the lives of people that you're going to encounter. And so what I'm going to do is I've got two things I feel like. that God always wants to address. I think there's two groups of people in every single church um, that come on Sunday morning. And and the first group may offend some of you. If you all know each other and you all know that you're super saved and Jesus loves you, um, forgive me. But I'm under the reality because I existed, I lived in church for 18 years, could tell you the story of the cross. I could, I could, give you i could paint you the picture of the grace and mercy that was in jesus but i personally had never received and accepted it i sat in church every day went to sunday school went to youth group and not until uh the summer after my senior year in high school did i really get the reality that jesus doesn't want to inform you he wants to own you and he wants to change you 
And so this morning, there may be people in this room that because of our judgmental world, because of your judgmental lifestyle, your picture of Jesus is the same as yours. That your picture of Jesus, that he is waiting to judge you, that he is sitting there with all of your offenses and just ready and willing to just eradicate you. And you've never felt the reality that you could approach Jesus because you're aware of your own sin, of your own brokenness. And here's the reality is that Jesus died on the cross for you. Not only that, but he entered this world when it was perfect. Lived a life that we could not. Which was obeying every rule, every law. Accomplishing it even to the means that he went to the cross willingly to pay the price. And so my hope today, if there's someone sitting in this room that has been distanced from Jesus because you're just assuming that he would never receive you, that he would never forgive you, is that I want to just say to that reality is that's a lie. Jesus came so that there would be no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the only difference between us that know Jesus and us that don't is that one trusts in Jesus and the other doesn't. And so here in just a minute, <clears throat> I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you bow your heads. I'm just going to ask you that if this is so, then today, inside of you, because that's the only thing's important, what you do externally, if it's not followed by what's internally, it means nothing. And so if that's you today, I'm going to have a, just a minute. I'm going to make everybody be silent and you're going to hear the air conditioning. It's going to feel uncomfortable. But I believe that your greatest opportunity to, to decide things, to make commitments to things is right now. Not when you get in your car, not when your kids start yelling at you because they're ready to get back plugged into a Wi-Fi network. But literally right now. And so that, that's one group. The other group is I think there's people in this room when I've talked about judgment. The Holy Spirit, not Heath. I'm not condemning you. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of a lifestyle of judgment. And he wants to call us to a place of confessing that. So that he can be faithful and forgive us. Because that same judgment is coming back on us. And the reality is, is that we cannot. You cannot. See Jesus and his kingdom reach this area of Shalot without it. Because your pastor is one man. And he cannot touch the people that you, cannot, you touch. He's not going to go to your work. He's not going to live in your house. He's not going to know your neighbors like you can. And we will not ever walk up to someone and see the grace of God move if we live in a place of judgment. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. <clears throat> and it's just going to be quiet. If you want to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. If you want to sit there and stare at the ceiling, you can stare at the ceiling. Uh, the, the key here is what is Jesus asking of you today? And that may need to be responded to. At the end of service, they have prayer people that are going to be up here. Um, the word actually says as we confess to one another, we'll be healed. So some people sitting in this room need to confess that to someone else. 
that literally need to say, here's what's going on, and I just need you to agree with me. I need to confess this, and we want to pray. We want to see this restored, and there'll be freedom. I know it seems awkward to potentially come up in front of people, and I, I tell our church all the time, if you come up in front of people, it does not show that you're weak. It shows that you're stronger than everybody else that's sitting there deciding to stay. Movement and change is the only thing that God is interested in. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to have just a minute for those that like a minute feels like an eternity. Just let some peace fall over you. So Jesus, Lord, I am grateful right now that um, you have not called us to stay in a place um, that you've not put us in. Lord, you've not called us to stay in a place of judgment. You've not called us to stay in a place of maybe active um, sin that we're participating in, but you've called us to a life of freedom. And so, Lord, for the... The two, the two groups of people that potentially are in this room, those that have never trusted as you, in you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today would not just be one of those cliche moments of I got saved, but Lord, I pray that the power of God would be felt and experienced for those that cry on your name. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this room, including me, That, Lord, during this minute, you would just bring to our attention things that you want to lovingly guide us out of. Relationships that you want to lovingly help us restore. And so, Lord, we just give you this minute. Lord, I pray that the enemy would have no place in our minds, in our thought life. Lord, that this would literally, Lord, that your peace would descend on this room during this minute. Lord, that we would hear clearly the voice of the shepherd. Lord, that we would follow you, that we would listen to you. Lord, that we would be obedient to what you ask. And so, Lord, we just give you this minute, Lord, to have your way with us, your people.